0: Today, we are on uh, week seven of our Romans series. We're going to be looking at chapters 13 and 14. So, if you got your Bibles, uh, pull them out, open them up to Romans chapter 13. And uh, again, encourage you to be reading this. Read Romans 13 and 14. If you haven't plugged into a summer circle yet, uh, It's okay. Come on out. You don't even need to sign up or anything. Just roll on out there. All the the dates and times are in your bulletin. Uh, Again, there's four different ones during the week. And and come on in. We've had some incredible discussions, some powerful discussions uh, of God's word. And and you just go to a deeper level. So I encourage you, come on out to one of those small groups this week, one of the summer circles. And uh, we'll go deeper in chapters 13 and 14. So last week, we talked about how the first 11 chapters of Romans were all doctrine. They were explaining, why did Jesus have to go? Why did he have to die? What what happened? Why why do we need salvation? Uh, All these different things. It was just kind of the the why behind everything, the, the doctrine. And then in chapter 12, everything switched. When Paul said, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... So in view of everything that just happened, in view of all of these different details that I gave you, now in chapters 12 on, he says this is practically how you apply it to your life. right? This is, this is how it's going to change your everyday life because Jesus died on the cross and rose again. And, and when you have faith in him, when you believe in him, when you believe that he died and rose, when you confess him as Lord, uh, your life is going to be forever changed. And this is how you apply it. This is how you become a living sacrifice. We talked last week about how that's the logical response. God's mercy, the logical response to what God has done. So this week uh, we're going to be looking at uh, four different truths that Romans 13 and 14 lay out and how we should respond to them. Uh, Some of these practical items that we're going to be looking at is uh, how do we interact with authority? Anybody have any authority issues out there? Come on, we live in America. We've got authority issues, right? Uh, So we're going to be looking at how do we biblically respond to authority? Uh, How do we prepare ourselves for Jesus' return? That's another thing that he hits on. How do we prepare ourselves for Jesus' return? And then all of chapter 14 is, this is a fun one, how to deal with gray areas in life. Anybody ever navigated gray areas where you're just not sure, like, is this okay for me to do? Is this not okay? Is this sin? Is this not sin? Well, the Bible doesn't specifically address it. So how do I approach this? So chapter 14 is all about gray areas. So we're going to pull out four truths for you today in chapters 13 and 14, and uh, what our response should be to those in view of God's mercy and how to be a living sacrifice. So Romans chapter 13, starting with verse 1, it says this, for there is, this is truth number one, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So truth number one, God has established all earthly authorities. So we know that. That's, that's what his, his word says, that God has established all earthly authorities. So think about that. God has uh, put into place our government All of our elected officials, that authority has been established by God. Uh, Extended even further, you can see that the police, that that God has given them authority. Our mayor, God has given him authority. Uh, Superintendent, uh, board, teachers, God has given them authority. Your boss, God has given them authority. Your supervisor, Parents, God has given you authority over your children, your coaches out there. God has given them authority. All authority has been established by God. Ever thought about that before? So how do we respond to that? Well, again, in verse 1, if we we start from the beginning, it says this, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. And then on into verse 2, it says, consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. So our response to this truth that God's established all authority is that we need to submit ourselves to authority. We need to submit ourselves to authority. Now you'd think that Paul would put in this verse somewhere that we need to obey your authority if they follow God. Or we need to obey your authority if they're doing good. Or we need to obey our authority if they are honorable. Or we need to obey our authority if they're worthy of respect. Or we need to obey our authority only if we voted for them. But he doesn't say that. He doesn't list any qualifiers. He, he doesn't say any of these things. He, he says, no, you need to obey authority because it's been established by God. No qualifiers. I mean, he's talking Democrat or dictator, right? God has established them, Communist or king. God has put them into place. Republican or revolutionary, God has given them authority. That's kind of a hard pill to swallow sometimes because there's some terrible people out there, right? There's some rough leaders out there. There's some corrupt people. But it's saying here that God has still put them into place. And and it says that our response to authority should be to be subject to them. To be subject to them. The Greek word there is hupotasso. And hupotasso, and Hupatasso is actually a Greek military term uh, that they would use. It, it meant to arrange troop divisions in a military fashion and, and establish a chain of command. How many of you know our military would fall apart if there wasn't a chain of command, right? In the military, you are taught you need to respect your authority, right? You need to do what they say. You need to trust uh, uh, what your, your, your authority, those who are above you, tell you to do. And so that's what this is saying. It's kind of a military term for us to say you need to be subject to your authority. You need to obey. And it's funny. Cuz we all have some sort of authority in our lives, you know, whether we're a boss of somebody or supervisor of somebody or we're parents. So the majority of us we have some authority. And when we're in authority, our thoughts are, "Yeah, I like this verse." Right? Everybody should listen to me because I've got a title. Right? You should listen to me because I'm your parent. Like, come on, you know, let's, and, and all these different things. And we think, what is this person thinking? You know, they're, they're just doing whatever they want. They don't think that I should be in this position. They don't, no, they need to listen to me because I've got authority. So we like this verse when we're the one in authority. But then at the same time, for those that were subject to, that were under authority, we start thinking, well, who does this guy think he is to tell me what to do? And we don't go both ways, right? And, and that's something we need to start thinking. We, we like the respect as the one in authority, but we don't like giving respect to those who are above us. Let me give you some context to this verse. So Paul writes this verse. Uh, he writes this passage. Who, who's he writing it to? Romans. That was an obvious one because the title's Romans. Uh, but he's writing it to the people in Rome. He's writing it to the church in Rome. And the emperor of Rome at this time is a guy named Nero. Uh, You can do a quick search on him. Nero wasn't a very nice guy. Nero, uh, it's reported of him that he enjoyed just lighting Christians on fire for fun. And yet, Paul's telling him, you need to be subject to your authority. You need to be subject to this corrupt authority. But did you know that, that God can use good leaders and corrupt leaders? If you look at history, God can, can use good leaders and bad leaders. In fact, if you keep reading in chapter 13, it says that, that some leaders that God, some authorities that God have, has established, he's using them as agents of his wrath. Isn't that an interesting concept? He's using them as agents uh, of his wrath, because some leaders are there to bring blessing, but others are there to bring punishment. Sometimes as, as a nation, we stray from God. We, we don't follow God, and, and we have to face the consequences, right? God allows us to do, make poor choices, so inevitably his wrath is going to come on us from simply answering the choices that we've made. So look at uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. Look at King Nebuchadnezzar back in the Old Testament. He was the king of Babylon. And uh, if you were into kings who uh, were able to conquer lands and conquer territories, then he was a pretty good king. You know, he, he, he took down lots of different countries. Uh, he, he took down lots of different nations. He, he was great in battle, all of these different things. And, and he established culture. You hear the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. That was King Nebuchadnezzar. You know, all these different things. But if you were an Israelite, that guy was terrible, right? Because he conquered you. He came in and he destroyed Jerusalem. He went in and he took all of the sacred objects that God had, had lined up in the temple. I mean, he ransacked the place. And then he came and, and he tried to, to take some of your youngest and brightest and, and brainwash them to become Babylonians and to lead his own people. So he had, he had all these different strategies, but he was a cruel king. He forced the Jewish people into exile. He wanted the Jewish people to stop following God. He took many captive. He was the king who set up a a statue and told Radshach, Meshach, and Abednego to bow down and worship it. He was was a rough king. But yet God was using him to bring punishment on his people. Because they had strayed from him. They had gone away. He had sent prophets and told them, bad things are going to happen right? You're going to go into exile. You will be conquered if you don't turn back to me. And they wouldn't turn back to God. They wouldn't turn back to God. And so eventually he sent in King Nebuchadnezzar to take them away, to bring them into exile, to punish them. And he was an agent of God's wrath. But then what's interesting, the, kind of the rest of his story, is, is one day King Nebuchadnezzar had wrath coming his way because he was cruel. He was a bad leader. And uh, God sent him into exile. God took his authority away. And it said he sent him off into the wilderness to go eat grass like an ox. You know, like, dude was messed up. He, he looked insane. Uh, but then what was interesting is uh, it said that Nebuchadnezzar lifted his eyes to God and his sanity was restored. And he praised God. And the last words in the Bible that we are recorded of Nebuchadnezzar, he says this, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And so as far as we know, uh, when Nebuchadnezzar died, he was was living for God. He had completely changed his heart. So God used him to bring about uh, punishment, on his own people, but he also uh, changed his life. So you just never know how God is going to use authority out there. Because God used an evil king for his glory. And God used Daniel and Radshak Meshach, and Abednego, who honored God first, and then honored their authority, even corrupt authority, to win this evil king to the Lord. So it's interesting how, how God can use all different types of authority out there. He's established the authority. So that's why we need to submit ourselves. It also says we need to submit ourselves because there's consequences to rebellion. There's consequences to rebellion. Uh, First off, it says that if we rebel against authority, that we're rebelling against God. Just think about that for a moment. When we rebel against authority, we are rebelling against God. Because he is the one who set that authority up. And so we need to learn to follow authority. Because otherwise, how are we going to follow God? He's the ultimate authority. So if we can't obey our parents. If we can't obey our boss. right? If we can't get our work in on time. If we can't uh, you know, follow our elected officials. If, if we can't do those without rebelling. How are we going to follow God? How are we going to follow God? He is the ultimate authority authority. Because God has lined up the government. He's lined up the teacher. He's lined up the coach. He's lined up the boss. To rebel against them is to rebel against God. And it also tells us, not only are we rebelling against God, but it it tells us we're going to live in fear of punishment if we are rebelling. Uh, Verse 4 in Romans 13 says, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. Now, most rulers today maybe don't have a sword, uh, but maybe they have a pen and a citation book, you know, or maybe maybe your parents will, will say, hey, you know, you're going to be in big trouble. Maybe your boss, they can fire you. They can do all these different human things to us. And, and so it says that we need to, to honor our authorities because just naturally there's going to be consequences if you don't. I, I think about it this way. How many of you guys have ever been driving down the highway and all of a sudden you, you see up ahead, there's a police officer just waiting to trap you. And so what do you do? You slam on the brakes, right? And then you look down, it's like, wait a minute, I was going the speed limit. Why am I doing it? It's just this natural reaction. You see a police officer, you got you to slow down, everybody got whiplash in the car. Like, oh, I saw a police officer. Because we fear, like, oh, I don't want to get a ticket, right? I, I don't want to rebel. So it concludes this section. It, it says, if you owe taxes, pay taxes, Right? Even Jesus paid taxes. we got to do it. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. So we need to honor those above us. Now, I know some of you are sitting there asking, but wait, isn't rebellion okay sometimes? Like, what if they're really bad? You know, in the Bible, didn't some of these people rebel against God? So let's look at a couple of those situations quickly. Uh, When you look back in, in Exodus... There was a couple of parents uh, who were under the authority of the Pharaoh, uh, and he wasn't a good guy. He gave the edict that, that every child that was to be born was to be thrown into the Nile, was to be killed. And they didn't listen to that. They didn't take their little boy and throw him into the Nile, and said that they secretly hid him and uh, raised him until they couldn't hide him anymore, and then they put him in a basket in the Nile. And that little boy was Moses, right? And we know he, he didn't die like the Pharaoh wanted him to, uh, but he was raised in the Pharaoh's household and, and all these things, and, and God used him to do incredible things. So wait, that doesn't sound right because they weren't respecting authority. Or you look, we referenced it earlier, Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Uh, they didn't bow down to the image of the king. He had set up a great image of himself, a great statue of himself, and they said, no, we're not going to do it. And so they were thrown into the fiery furnace, but, but God rescued them. But wait, they were disobedient to their authority. So why is that different? A couple chapters later in Daniel, King Darius orders that that the only person anybody can pray to is to the king himself. Can't pray to your God. You can't pray to any of that. But Daniel didn't obey the king. Instead, he continued to pray just as he did three times a day. He would pray to God, the one true God, and he didn't pray to the king. He didn't obey his authority. He was thrown into the lion's den, but then God rescued him. So why did God honor that rebellion? Acts chapter 4, uh, the disciples are commanded not to teach Jesus anymore, not, not to, to teach at all or speak in the name of Jesus. But they refused. They didn't listen to their authority. Instead, they say, said this, this key phrase. They said, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. And that's really the key. This is where we need to, to draw the line in obeying our authorities. That we need to honor God first, Amen. and then our authorities second. So we've got to have the right, the right line, right? So if our authorities tell us to do something that's contrary to what God tells us to do, then rebellion is acceptable. And really, not just acceptable, it, it should happen, right? It, it should happen, because... Radshach, Meshach, and Abednego shouldn't bow their knee to the statue, right? Daniel shouldn't pray to the king. That would have been very wrong because he would have been disobeying God. If the disciples would have just said, oh, okay, yeah, we just won't, we won't talk about Jesus. No, Jesus commanded them, therefore go into all the world and preach the good news. So if they listened to their authority, they wouldn't have been listening to the ultimate authority. So that's where we, we not only should, can rebel, we should rebel. When our authorities lead us away from God. So respecting authority, that's, it's difficult these days because it's kind of countercultural, cultural right? Today, the theme would probably be more so question authority. Question authority. But God's calling us to submit to authority, to be subject to authority regardless of our political beliefs, regardless of our preferences, we have a responsibility to honor those who are in authority over us. We have a responsibility. So that's that's truth number one. Again, we're going to hit these kind of fast, but that's why you should jump into summer circles so you can go deeper in each of these. Uh, truth number two, we find in Romans 13, verses 11 and 12, and I'll kind of hit the middle of them and we'll expand it. It says in, in verse 11, about halfway through, it says, Our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So truth number two this morning is this, and this is a fun one, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. Our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. How many are excited that Jesus is coming back? Like, ah, this is great. Right, This is great news, because if you were saved any other day than today, you're closer to that day when Jesus is coming back. We're getting closer day by day. We're getting closer to when we can experience his presence in full. We're getting closer to walking those streets of gold. We're getting closer to, to just getting to, to spend time worshiping him, just singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Like, it's exciting. Jesus is coming back. So that's the truth that he gives us. So, how should we respond to that? What should be our action? How do we? Uh, also, in verses 11 and 12, it tells us this It says, The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Again, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So, let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. So, what does it say we need to do? Wake up. Jesus is coming back. Hey, wake up. It, it is time. It's no, t- no longer time to slumber. It's time to wake up. We had any sleepwalkers in the building? <laughs> Anybody sleepwalk, sleep talk? A few of you, okay? You know, we, we've got all got those different things. Uh, in college, one of my roommates, I didn't realize this, but he was a sleep talker. Um, and so I found out kind of an interesting way I came in, uh, to the room one night and and he was already in bed and, and, uh, and he started talking to me. So I was like, oh, you know, still awake. We have a great conversation. I I can't remember what we're talking, maybe about the schedule for tomorrow or what we were going to do. I mean, we probably talked for 10, 15 minutes (laughs) and I noticed like, okay, something's a little off here. Uh, but I thought he's just tired. Well, the next morning, wakes up, and so I'm talking to him, just kind of continuing that conversation. He's like, what are you talking about? Like, how do you know that? I was like, well, you, you told me last night. He's like, no, I didn't. Yeah, we had this long time, kind I'm of laying it out in detail. He thought I was joking, but he was just talking in his sleep. And, and so that was, that was interesting. But, but how many of you know that, that you can attend church and still be asleep spiritually? Think about that. You can can sing songs of worship and still be asleep. Anybody ever, like, sang a whole song in worship and you're like, what song did we just sing? I don't even know. Like, I was just, I sang that song since I'm a kid and the words just came out and, but I was thinking about what's for lunch today, you know? Ever been there? Right? We can do these things. We can go through the motions spiritually and and not be awake. And, And this passage is saying, it's time to wake up. It's time to wake up. It's it's time to stop hitting snooze. It's it's time to stop saying, all right, yeah, God, I'll I'll figure it out. No, Jesus is coming back. It could be today. We need to get ready. We need to get ready. So it says, how do we wake up? Right? How do we wake up? How do we do this? It says we need to put aside the deeds of darkness, and we need to put on the armor of light. Right? Stop thinking about how you gratify the sinful nature and, and start clothing yourself in the Lord, is what it says. Clothe yourself in the Lord. So we need to change the clothes that we're wearing. That's what it's telling us. We need to change the clothes. That, uh, how many of you know when you wake up in the morning, you need to change before you go to work? Right? Anybody wear your pajamas to work? Some of you are like, well, I work from home. It doesn't count, all right? It doesn't count. But you don't want, we don't wear our pajamas places. I mean, some of you to Walmart. I, I get that, all right? That's different. Other people, like the most you would ever do is... I wore my pajamas to take out the garbage to the end of the curb. But after that, you know, we're cutting it off. Because there's things you would do in your pajamas that you wouldn't do if you were wearing fancy attire and vice versa. It it says we need to put on, put on the armor of light. We need to clothe ourselves in the Lord. Right, so I I want you to think about uh, when's the last time you went to a formal event you know, you, you put on the suit and tie, or you put on the dress and heels and all of those different things. So imagine you are, you are dressed up as fancy as, as you've got. And when you're dressed that way, there's certain things that you just don't do anymore, right? There's certain things that you, that you are not going to do, right? You're not going to go out and do chores in that. You're not going to go change the oil on your car in that because you're dressed nice. You're not going to do that. You're not going to go for a jog. In that stuff, you know, it doesn't make sense. And in the same way, some of us are just living in our spiritual pajamas, right? We're just sitting there like, oh, I'll just hit snooze again. You know, I just, I'm just going to live this way. No, it says clothe yourselves in the armor of light. Clothe yourselves in Christ. Become more like him. Put aside the deeds of darkness, those things that that you only feel are acceptable at night, because they don't feel acceptable when you're wearing Christ, right? We need to change our clothing. We need to change our attitude, Stop being comfortable. Because, I mean, think about it. When when the guests come over, if you're hosting someone important, you're not wearing your pajamas. Right? You're getting dressed up. And in the same way, Jesus is coming back and you don't know when he's coming. So you better not be in your PJs when he comes back. (laughs) Right? We need to be ready. We need to be ready. We need to clothe ourselves in light. We need to clothe ourselves in in good things. We need to become more like Jesus. In fact, another way it tells us, this is another way we can put on that that spiritual clothing, that armor of light. Uh, Verses 8 and 9, it says this, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you should not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So that's another way that we can put on the right and appropriate clothing for Jesus' return. To love your neighbor as yourself. So put love on. And it's interesting. It says that this is the only debt that you should keep. How many of you are thankful that your mortgage debt eventually will get paid off? Right? that it has an expiration date, that you're not going to be paying it on until it eternity, that eventually the car is going to get paid off. Right? There, there's an expiration to those things. Eventually we will pay enough that we'll own them. We pray, right? But it says the one debt that you can never get out of is love. You can never get out of debt in love. No matter how much love you give, you're never going to pay that debt off. Because think of the love that was given to us right? Think of, think of the love. We had no way out. We were destined to hell. We were condemned. We could not do enough good works to get ourselves out of this situation. But Jesus went to the cross and died for us. Why? Because he loved you. Because he loved you. And you will never be able to repay that debt. You'll never. We're, we're walking around living in debt to Christ. A debt of love. And so what do we do? We respond by being a living sacrifice. We respond in view of God's mercy, in view of that amazing debt that he paid off for us, that we love the people around us. It's a debt we can never repay. So if you love somebody on Monday, guess what? You still got to love them on Tuesday, right? You still got to love them on Wednesday. You'll, you'll never fulfill that debt of love. We've got to love the people around us. And how do we do that? How do we love each other? It says we love each other by keeping the commands, by keeping the ten commandments. You know, the first four commandments are a relationship with God. The last six are a relationship with people. So we keep those commandments, and that's how we love people. But you might be saying, wait a minute, I thought a couple of weeks ago we talked about we're not under that system anymore, that we're not under the law, right? That we're in relationship now. That's true. That's very true. true. But here's the thing. God's laws are perfect. God is also love. So if you want to do the most loving thing that you can, obey the laws. Right? When we're doing the obedient thing, we're doing the loving thing. And when we're doing the loving thing, we're going to do the obedient thing. Right? All of these commandments are summed up by love your neighbor as yourself. So when we choose not to murder, we choose not to steal and we choose not to commit adultery, that is loving, right? And when we choose to love people, why? We wouldn't do any of those things because those aren't very loving. So it's still a great guideline for how we can love people. It says if we love our neighbor as ourselves, then we keep all the commands. It sums them all up. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's how we put on That armor of light. That's how we clothe ourselves with Christ, is to love one another. So that's truth number two. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. We respond by waking up. Uh, Truth number three and four are kind of linked. So Romans chapter 14 is where we're going to look at here. And again, this is dealing with the gray areas. So Romans chapter 14, verse 10, we find truth number three. It says this, For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. So truth number three is this. God is the judge and each of us will give account to God. God is the judge and each of us will give account to God. So let me give you, again, a little bit of context to this passage before we understand where this truth is coming from and how we should respond to it. Because again, this Romans chapter 14 is dealing with those, those gray areas in life. Those, it, it talks about these are disputable areas, areas where God has not given uh, clear direction over this is sin or this is not sin. Uh, it's just kind of an in-between area, right? There's certain areas in the Bible that They're sin. Every single time they are sin, they are wrong. Uh, There's a long, I think there's probably 40 some in the New Testament that we see. You know, adultery, it's wrong every time. Jealousy, wrong every time. Murder, wrong every time. Hatred, wrong. Drunkenness, wrong. Complaining, wrong. All these different things, they are labeled as sin. You don't have to question those. You don't need any divine revelation from the Holy Spirit. God has given that revelation already in his word, and we can know. These, these are, this, this is black and white. This is not a gray area. The Bible calls them wrong. So what do you do about situations that aren't so clear? Uh, things that aren't clearly labeled a sin. And so in this chapter, Paul uh, references about three different test cases, so to speak, uh, one of them he spends a lot of time on, two of them he just references quick. So these are different things that the church was clearly struggling with, different gray areas that they just couldn't figure out. And, and for you, they may not be the same gray areas, but these are the ones that he gives. Uh, he talks about eating meat that sacrificed the idols. So clearly there was two different sides of it. There was, there was the one side that just felt freedom, and they said, you know what, I don't know what even God or whatever, like I don't believe in any of that stuff. I just picked it up from the grocery store and I'm going to eat it, right? So they were, they had no problem. And then you had the other side of the, the say like, oh no, you know, that was, that was sacrificed to this God and we can't do that. So we're going to stay away. In fact, we just better not eat meat just to make sure that we don't, you know, break any laws. So it's two different sides. Uh, then you had holidays, right? You had You know, one person over here was saying, all right, we gotta obey every single holiday. We gotta make sure that we celebrate this holiday and this holiday and this holiday and this holiday. And then you had people over here who were just like, Christmas and Easter is just fine with me. You know, like let's just let's just stop there. I don't know which holidays they were celebrating, but there was clearly some people were saying, we don't have to make every day a holiday, and other people were saying, hey, let's let's make sure we we follow them to the T. And then there was the last section that he brought up, and it was about drinking wine. There were some people who were saying, hey, you know what? I can drink as often as I want so long as I don't cross that line and get drunk, right? Because the Bible's the gray area there. There's other people who are saying, no, 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 no. I mean, drinking, it leads to bad things, and so we're going to avoid it completely. So there's ends of the spectrum on all of these different things. All these different levels of liberty were being taken in these gray areas. And and so they were questioning Paul who's right? Which side is right? Do we have that freedom? Do we not have that freedom? Is it sin? Is it not sin? And they were saying, Paul, you be the judge. You be the judge. And then Paul does something really annoying. He doesn't answer their question. Right? He just says, you know what? I'm not the judge. God's the judge. Or maybe he says this, well, what do you feel is right? Ever have your parents do that to you? Or, you know, you come to them like, okay, which one do you think? Well, which one do you think? No, I came to you to give me a decision. Just make a decision for me. I would follow whatever you tell me to do. But Paul throws it back in their court. Well, how do you feel? Do you feel that that's right? Because ultimately God's the judge. I'm I'm not in charge there. And he takes this gray area and he throws it back at him. So what should be our response in in these these gray areas? Because the first thing we're going to be looking at is is how do you respond when you're in this category and somebody else is in this category? How do you get along? How, How do you work when you have two different opinions in the gray area? So that's the first thing that we're looking at here. Romans chapter 14 verse 1 says this except the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. Again, disputable matters, those gray areas. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. So there you have it. The Bible says vegetarians are weak. That was a cheap shot. That's not true. That's not what it says. Verse 3. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master's servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. All right, so in the context of that passage knowing that God is the judge, our response to this should be, stop judging each other. Right? Stop judging each other in the gray areas. Now, if there's sin, there's sin. And we do need to call that out uh, among brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? If somebody crosses that line, we're going to do great help by it. But if it's a matter of preference in the gray area, we need to stop judging each other. We need to stop judging each other. It says strong, don't judge the weak. Don't judge someone because of their rules. And weak, don't judge the strong. Don't judge someone because of uh, all of the rules in their gray areas. Now, it is interesting. He, he calls some people strong and some people weak. And I, I think that this is maybe a bad connotation uh, uh, of what it is. Because in today's culture, we would probably call those, those weak Christians who have lots of rules the most devoted Christians. We would probably label them as strong Christians. And, and the people that he calls strong, the people who just have liberty to, to stretch the limits of the gray area, we would probably call those, ah, oh, those people are you know weak. They're just not very strong in the faith you know, because they're just doing things that they probably shouldn't be. And, and so it's interesting, this connotation of weak, it doesn't mean that you're a bad Christian. Because these weak Christians, so to speak, these are Christians that, that would say, well, if God tells me not to do this, then I'm going to make sure not to do this and this and this, just so that I don't even get anywhere close to that line, right? And they, they put more rules and restrictions on themselves just to make sure they don't mess up. And again, they, they probably look like the most devoted Christians. I mean, they're there every Sunday. They don't miss, right? Those are the people wearing Christian T-shirts. Those are the people who, who don't even put up a Christmas tree. They just have a nativity set, right? I mean, that, these are the people we're talking about, We Christians, but perhaps the reason why i think he calls them weak is because perhaps somewhere inside of them they are trying to keep god's favor through rules and regulations that's a dangerous it's an easy place to get to when we're trying to follow god is to try to just go back to that old system and not live in relationship anymore because we've taken an issue of culture and made it a mark of spiritual maturity but you know what i as i've studied this passage i would say this we're all weak in different areas We're we're all weak in different areas. We all have things that in our past we gave into. So we, we set up boundaries to make sure we never go back there, right? We set up things that, hey, I don't want to cross that line. You know, perhaps God delivered you from alcoholism. So not only are you not going to drink, but you're going to say, I'm not even going to be around people who drink because I don't want to go back to that old lifestyle right? Uh, Perhaps there's some of you out there, traditionally there's been, you know what? I'm not going to go to the movie theater because I I don't want that. I don't want that in my life, or I don't want to go to the bowling alley. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that because I want to stay pure for God. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with those things. There's nothing wrong with setting those boundaries in your life. In fact, it's probably healthy for you to have those convictions, But the point I want to make is we can't categorize ourselves as I'm a strong Christian, I'm a weak Christian. Because at the end of the day, we all have our own weaknesses. We all have those things, those temptations that we're more uh, prone to give ourselves into. So we've got to set those stricter boundaries. And and so again, the point of this passage is just because you have stricter boundaries doesn't mean that you're better. Think about that. Because again, we're not supposed to judge each other. Just because you're in this camp of, you know, well, I don't do that. You know, we, we don't do that here in this gray area. It doesn't make us better that that person feels like they have the freedom to do those things. Uh, it talks about the person who feels convicted that you shouldn't eat food. And In fact, verse 3 says, The one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. So if you've got restrictions, don't judge those for those who don't have restrictions. Don't talk about them behind their back. Don't mock them for what they do. Don't tell them that they're wrong because that's your personal conviction. Don't enforce your gray areas on other people like it's the gospel. Now again, if it's sin, we can call out sin. But if it's a gray area, we can't call out our personal convictions on somebody else. Now in the same way, Uh, If you have looser boundaries, don't hold it over somebody with stricter boundaries. Verse 3 also says, the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. Did you ever have a, anybody got an older sibling in here? Right? A lot of us do. Or maybe you were the older sibling. And the older sibling, it seems like they always get uh, some more freedoms because they're older. So maybe they get to stay out later there's the curfew, or maybe they got to drive first and you didn't. And you know what that older sibling does? They rub it in your face. You know, they come back to you and be like, you have to go to bed at 8. You know, I get to stay out till 9. Or, yeah, you could go, but I'm going to take the car and drive where I want, and you can't because you can't drive. You know, that's what older siblings do. Younger siblings do that too. So, you know, we, we all like to kind of rub it in each other's face. And, and what it's saying is, don't do that don't do that. Just because you feel like you have more liberty than someone else doesn't make you a better Christian. It doesn't make you a better person. It says that we need to honor them. We need to honor them. And we honor people. So if you're sitting over here in the the more freedom in the gray area and you're around somebody who's stricter, honor them by by being strict around them. Honor them by, by holding to their convictions when you're with them. Don't rub it in their face. It says, if your brother or sister is distressed, in verse 15, because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. That's powerful. It's powerful. It says, if we're doing things just to hurt other people, we're not acting in love. We need to act in love no matter who we're around. So it says, it's better not to eat meat. It's better not to drink wine. It's better not to do any other gray area item if it causes someone to fall, it's better to say, you know what, I'm just going to live on the stricter side just so that I can honor you. Because at the end of the day, our goal should be verse 19. This should be our goal. This is what we're striving for. Verse 19 says this, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Our goal is peace, right? So you may have different preferences. Again, we're not talking Sin or not sin. But you may have different preferences in the gray areas. But how can we get along with each other? How can we honor one another? Rather than thinking, it's all about me, we should be thinking, how can I honor this group? How can I honor this person? In the same way over here, we should be thinking, how can I honor them? How can we honor each other? How can we love one another? I mentioned this in our summer circle the other night, but unity isn't just a group of people who all agree about everything. Because eventually, if that was our idea of unity in this church, we'd probably get down to about four or five people. Because we all saw it the same way. We all decided we like these worship songs. We like this paint color. We like this, you know. And we could get all these different preferences. And finally, we found five people who just are right. (laughs) But that's not what unity is. Unity is saying we're going to come together, we may disagree on some things, but we're going to come together for the common purpose to follow Jesus, to make him famous in this world, right? To love God, love people, and share Christ. That's what we're all about, and that's what we're coming together. And that's the idea of what the church should be when it's unified. So we need to make every effort to lead to what leads to peace. Now the last thing, uh, the last truth involves our own personal gray area. So the first one talks about how do we deal with other. Uh, The second one involves how do we establish what our own convictions are, right? Have you ever wondered that? Anybody ever wondered, like, is this okay? Is this not okay? You know, in in this gray area, what does the Bible have to say? Well, the Bible doesn't really, you know. And and so you're wondering yourself, where do I set my boundaries? Where do I set my lines? So if you're wondering that, this next truth is for you. Uh, Verse 23, the very last verse, at the second half of the verse, it says this. And this is a tough one to swallow. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. And that's, that's truth number four. That's kind of a deep concept to understand. If it doesn't come from faith, then it's sin. Are you doing what you're doing? Are you making that decision to honor God Or to honor yourself. So how do we respond to this? Verse 22 tells us this. So whatever you believe about these things. Keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat. Because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. So our response to this in these gray areas. It's talking about if you feel personally convicted that it's wrong, then it's wrong for you. It's wrong for you. But if you feel like, hey, this is okay, this is, I feel like where God's going, then, then it's okay for you to do. But if you act contrary to what the Holy Spirit's telling you, that's a bad situation to be in. That's not acting in faith anymore. So our, our response should be follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in the gray areas. That's how we navigate the gray areas is we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, it may be different for every person, but it it says that if you're sitting in a gray area and you're feeling guilty, then don't cross that line. Don't cross that line. That's tough because we want to cross that line, right? We're we're sitting there trying to debate with ourselves saying, ah, this is okay, right? If you ever find yourself debating with yourself whether this is right or wrong, then it's probably wrong, right? It's probably wrong for you. It may not be wrong for every person, but it's probably wrong for you. That's probably the Holy Spirit telling you, don't cross that line. Don't, don't go down that road. It's not worth it. But at the end of the day, I think we need to ask ourselves in these, these gray matters. Who are we living for? Are we living for ourselves? Or are we living for God? Are you living for yourself? Are you living in view of God's mercy? Right? Are we living in light of what Jesus did for us on the cross? So a question you can ask is this, am I doing this for God? Can I do this knowing that God is watching? Can I do this knowing that one day I'm going to have to give an account for my actions? Can I do this in the name of Jesus? Or can I do this thanking God for it? Right? That, that really changes how we navigate the gray areas. When we we bring into that fact, am I doing this by faith? Am I doing this for God? Am I doing it by myself? And if the answer is, no, this really isn't for God. This is just, just for me. This is just something that, that I like. Then I think we, the answer is we need to stop doing it then. Right? We need to stop doing it. Why are we doing it? If we aren't doing it by faith, then we're doing it to please ourselves. If we could just get keys to come. So here's the truths. Again, they all don't relate. They all don't go into each other. But these are all truths that we have in view of God's mercy. The truths are God's established all authority. Right? God has given every person authority who has authority. It comes from God. Second truth is that Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And as we just looked at, it is that God is our judge and that everything that doesn't come from faith is sin. So how do we respond? How do we respond in view of God's mercy? How do we respond as living sacrifices? Even though we want to rebel against authority, we need to honor authority because it comes from God. Jesus is coming back. So how do we respond? We get ready for it. We put on the right clothing. We, we get away from the deeds of darkness and we love each other. We love each other and we prepare the way for Christ to come. In view of God's mercy, how do do we respond in those gray areas? We we respond by following the Spirit's leading. We respond by not judging each other in the gray areas and working towards unity. So again, we do this all all in view of God's mercies. So remember daily. I mean daily. We need to remember. We're a sinner in need of a Savior. We can't do it on our own can't do it on our own. We're we're worthy of death. We're worthy of death. We're worthy of eternal death. That is what we have earned. But God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take our punishment of death, to take on God's wrath in our place. And when we believe in him, when we confess our sins, when we make him the Lord of our life, when we say, I believe that you died and that you rose again, that God saves us, that Jesus saves us completely. He wipes our slate clean. He makes us new, a new creation. And we get to live in his freedom. And not only that, he he calls us, he adopts us, he calls us children. He makes us heirs. He prepares a place for us. He gives the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. Resurrection power inside of us in view of God's mercy. These things that are difficult, getting along with people, loving each other, honoring authority, become easy in light of the cross, become exciting to do, to be a living sacrifice because of God's great mercy. So today, what do you need to surrender? How do you need to become a better living sacrifice today? What do you need to lay on the altar today? Do you struggle with authority? Do you struggle with rebellion? Do you need to lay that on the altar today, right? Do you, do you struggle with your comfort? Have you been making comforts your God? And just say, ah. And you say, you need to lay that down. You need to start loving people you struggle with judging people? And you just need to say, today, I need to lay that down, God. I need to lay that down. Do you struggle in the gray areas, and you're trying to take liberties that maybe you shouldn't? You're you're trying to resist the Holy Spirit. You're trying to resist, you know, your conscience inside of you. He's telling you there. You're just trying. Do you need to lay that down and say, all right, God, I'm not going to fight you anymore. I'm just going to listen. I'm just going to obey. I'm just going to follow you. I don't don't know what's going on in your heart today. But I challenge you to respond. To lay it down. Come to to these altars and just spend some time with Jesus laying down those things that, that are strongholds in your life. And watch His grace continue to pour in. Continue to bless you. So would you stand with me right now? I just want to pray for you and And just give you an opportunity to respond. Today, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, then I want to give you an opportunity to do that. We're going to have somebody from the prayer team just down over here. And if you'd like to pray for salvation today, then in just a moment, I encourage you, come on down. They want to pray with you. They they want to uh, give you some resources. God's going to do some incredible things. Today, if you're just saying, I need to lay some things down at the altar, come on down. Find a place. You don't have to wait. You can just, you can start responding now. And just find a place to get alone with God and say, God, you know, hey, I'm that living sacrifice that got off the altar again. It's time that I surrender again. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your great mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your sacrifice. God, that you aren't calling us today to do something that you aren't willing to do yourself. God, you gave it all. The difficulties that we're going through, Lord, you can relate to. You understand. You've been in our place, you've been in our shoes. And so today, again, Lord, I believe you're calling us to surrender. You're calling us to be a living sacrifice. So, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to lay it down. God, whether it's struggles with authority, God, whether it's going through the motions as a Christian and not not really loving each other, not really waking up to the reality that you're coming back. Whether we're struggling with judging people, we're struggling in those gray areas. May we surrender our will. May we surrender our lives at this altar today. So Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you surrendered it all. May we do the same in return. So Lord, I, I pray that you would move. God, I, I pray that you would do a great work today as we seek you. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, I encourage you, find a place at this altar. Get alone with God. When, when God's done with you, you're, you're dismissed. But I encourage you, find a place and, and spend some time seeking the Lord surrendering to him.